Good morning and happy Sunday. Welcome to our March 15th, 2020 service from La Jolla Presbyterian Church. Reverend Dr. Paul Cunningham is preaching this week, and it's the third week of the Lenten Sermon series, titled Questions Jesus Asked. Throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus asking questions. Sometimes he asks questions as he's talking, and sometimes he asks questions in response to questions that he had been asked by other people. In the Jewish tradition, to be without questions was not a sign of lack of faith, but a lack of depth. Questions were encouraged, and as we watch Jesus teach, we see him asking questions in all sorts of situations. This morning we're looking at Jesus calming the sea for the disciples, and the sermon is titled, On the Boat with Jesus. Our scriptures from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. If you'd like to connect with our church, you can find our website at ljpress.org. We hope to see lives transformed by our relationship with Jesus. And we strive to be a place where you experience and are able to express that transforming love of Christ. And now here's Paul with On the Boat well, with Jesus. Well, this has been uh, quite the week, and i um, grateful for everybody watching online. And I'm really grateful for an incredible group of elders and staff. Um, our staff this week have been doing a lot to try and prepare um, for really the uncertain and the unknown. And as word came out from San Diego and Unified on Friday morning that uh, they're going to be cl- canceling classes, we realized that um, we needed to go into high gear to make some rapid changes. And so I'm grateful uh, for a wonderful leadership team, for a staff. I had a staff member texting me at uh, 6.15 this morning asking questions about the setup for this morning, uh, which is great just to know that we are trying to do all that we can uh, to meet uh, the needs of our, of our own church and also of uh, our city and our state. What a week. Um, I never in my entire life in 25 years of ministry have I sent out two letters in the span of four days. Um, actually, I wrote four letters this week and had to revise two of those letters that I eventually uh, sent out. That has never happened to me before uh, in my life. And as I think about that, I was thinking I've been ordained as a pastor for 25 years. And the only thing that comes close to this is 9-11. And many of you remember that, of when that Tuesday morning came. And I still remember my sermon title um, from 2001, uh, which was Darkness Dawned, But Light Remains. Um, it's probably the only sermon title I remember for any sermon that I've ever preached. But it was such an important time for us as the church community and as faithful followers of Jesus to come together and to lament, to weep, uh, to share in life together, to hug, and to be one body gathered together. And we came close. But what's so different about COVID-19 and coronavirus is we don't get to do that. We're now living in a world of social distancing and saying we need to be six feet apart from each other. And that creates a very different dynamic for life, for worship, and for church. But what we remember in that is that God is not distant. That God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that God calls us 
to remember him. That God says, I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you. Psalm 139 puts it like this. This is verses 7 through 12. David, or the psalmist asked, David asked this question. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David says, it matters not where I go. There's no place I can go. There's nothing that I can experience, David says, that God, you have not experienced. That God, the promise, David says, is that you are there. And I think that that is a very important promise for us to remember this morning, this day, this week. That God is with us. So in the month of November, several months ago, I went away on study leave and I planned a sermon series for January and February and I planned a sermon series for the season of Lent. Who would have known that on Sunday, March 15th, the text I actually picked for this morning would be so appropriate? My original sermon title, which we decided was not a great sermon title, was Why Are You So Afraid? Because that is literally the question that Jesus asks of the disciples. We're going through this series of questions that Jesus asked. And that's the question he has for the disciples. Why are you so afraid? So my sermon title today, if you noticed, it's now called In the Boat with Jesus. But the bottom line is that question that he asks, I think, is a very appropriate question for us this day. So we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter verses 35 through 41, and I invite you to pray with me first. Oh God, you are a God who loves, you are a God who endures, you are a God who perseveres, you are a God who promises to be with us. So guide us, Lord, these days as we try to make our way, reminding us that as the storms come, you are with us. That is the promise. Even Psalm 23 tells us that as we walk through the valley of the shadows, you are there. So guide us and lead us, Lord, as we hear your word. Help us to know how to apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus has been teaching. Uh, we looked at his teaching uh, on the parable of the sower a couple of weeks ago in Mark chapter 4. He's done with his teaching, and they begin this journey. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crown behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall, the literal translation of this could be actually hurricane, came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, 
Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So Jesus is making this journey across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 13 miles from top to bottom, about 8 miles from one side to the other side. He tells the disciples, let's go to the other side. And the disciples crawl into this boat. They've done some archaeological research and discovered that more than likely the boat that Jesus was on was probably about 28 feet long, about um, uh, seven and a half feet wide. And it had a, a, a deck where people could sleep on both the front of the boat and the back of the boat. They had a couple of rowers on each side. And um, that was kind of more than likely the boat that he was on carried about 15 people. So they're making their way across. And a couple of interesting things, at least I find interesting in this text, happen. It's not that there's a storm. I mean, that storms on the Sea of Galilee are common. Uh, Mount Hebron, which is 9,000 feet in height, is about 30 miles north of there. The cold winds come down off of Mount Hebron. They go into the Sea of Galilee, which is 700 feet below sea level. So it's warm. So you have hot air meeting cold air. Um, We lived in West Texas for a number of years, and when hot air meets cold air, it can be destructive. It can create really weird weather patterns. And so this furious squall, this furious hurricane comes up. And what's fascinating to me, though, is these disciples are fearful for their lives. Well, they were fishermen. This was the story of their lives. This was certainly not the first storm that they had experienced like this. But they are absolutely panicked because water is coming in. They think they're going to die and they're filled with fear. And I think that that for us, perhaps, or for people we know, is an appropriate analogy. We're seeing a lot of fear. But then they go to Jesus and they almost rebuke Jesus. There's this sense of, what are you doing, Lord? Why are you asleep? We are going to die. Don't you care about us? And remember, Jesus is the one who had said, let's go to the other side. And the worst part of it is, is Jesus is sleeping. That's the second ironic thing. You have have fishermen who are scared, who shouldn't be scared. And you have Jesus who is just dead asleep as the storm is raging. So how, do, how, how can Jesus sleep? Well, Jesus sleeps because he knows God's got it. He has nothing to fear. But the disciples themselves are panicked. But what I think we have to remember as we gather for worship, as we seek to bring normalcy to our lives, whatever normalcy we can bring, is that Jesus is in the boat with us. He doesn't jump out of the boat. He doesn't have to jump overboard like Jonah had to jump overboard. He remains in the boat. He remains with us in our lives. And I think that this is a really important thing 
for us to remember. But not only that, he then gets up and there's this word rebuke. He rebukes the waves, tells them to be still. He tells the wind to cease. This word rebuke is an important word. It's it's kind of a, it's not a word that's used very often, but in this context, it's very important because it is a word of command that comes from God or one of God's representatives. It would be a word that perhaps the prophets in the Old Testament would have used. But what that word of rebuke does is it, is it literally, as they use this word, it conquers evil. That when this terminology is used, it is saying that which is evil, that which is broken, is conquered. And it's conquered in a way that prepares the way for God's righteous rule. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying these winds, these waves... He's rebuking them, but he's saying, though they appear to be evil, though they appear to be this, this, you know, this, this terrible storm that is happening, he is saying, because of who I am, I rebuke you. I say to you that you have no power. You have no authority. He subdues them because when he speaks, he's saying, God has all the power. God has the authority. He's preparing the way for God's righteousness to rule. And so he says, stop. And everything grows calm again. But sometimes we feel, perhaps today is one of those days, we feel like we're still out in that boat. I think of another boat. Another story of a much larger boat. The story of Noah and the ark. And the story of redemption that comes out of that. That Noah and the animals all climb. Who know, Lord only knows how big that ark was. But what happens is that God takes that ark. And yes, it's up and down on the waters. But those who climb into that ark, into that boat, are saved. For the early church, the ark was one of the symbols of the church. Because the church felt the pain and the difficulty of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. But we are told that at the end of the rain, at the end of the storms, that ark rested on the mountains of Ararat. That God said, I will provide a resting place. And for us, I think we need to hear that clearly. That God is not done. That God is with us in the midst of this storm. That God is with us in the midst of this uncertainty. And that as we climb in literally into the ark, or more likely, as we climb into the boat with Jesus, he is not going to abandon us. But he is going to bring us rest and peace. So I want to think about that miracle for a moment. What was that miracle all about? Why allow the storm to come up? Why was Jesus able to sleep so well? And I really think that miracle, that working of what Christ did was for the sake of the disciples. Because what he was trying to teach them, or the question he was trying to ask them, more likely, is 
Are you going to walk by faith? Or are you going to walk in fear? Because really at that point, they have to decide. Faith or fear? Jesus basically says, why are you so afraid? And where is your faith? Why do you have no faith? But after the winds and the waves have stopped, and after Jesus has asked these questions, we read that the apostles no longer had fear, but they were now terrified. And they were terrified because they realize who's on the boat with them. They realize that no one else has power over the winds and the waves and the seas other than God. No one else can calm a storm besides someone who is of God, either God himself or God's son. And all of a sudden, they are overwhelmed with the deity of Christ, with the person of Christ. This word is used uh, to describe their, their terror is the same word that is used to describe the women in Mark chapter 16 when they go to the, the tomb and they find the tomb empty and they leave the tomb because they know that they've encountered something holy and something amazing. Dealing with the fear, but dealing with the reality of Jesus. What's interesting historically is when the Gospel of Mark was written. It was more than likely written during the time of Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, he despised the church. And there are some who believe that as Mark writes this story of being in the boat with Jesus, with the waves crashing in on them, that it is very much describing what the early church was feeling. That those believers who were living during the time of Nero felt as though they were without hope. They wondered, has God fallen asleep? Is God still listening? Is God still paying attention? And Mark's reassurance in telling this story of the boat out on the sea is saying, yes, he's with you. He's with us. It's hard not to fear. I'm not going to say it's hard not to panic. But time and time again, what Scripture says to us is fear not. Jesus is asking the question, as the storm is around us, will we walk by fear or will we walk by faith? My friends, God does come close to us. But what I want us to think about, as well as the comfort we receive from God, that as followers of Jesus, are we looking out for those who are living in fear? Are we keeping our eyes open for those whom find themselves feeling vulnerable? For those who perhaps don't have a friend or a family member to help them with the basic needs. 
Because I think one of the greatest things the church could be about today and at least for this next month is that as followers of Jesus, we be very intentional about how we help others. Who is in our circle or our extended circle that might need a word of encouragement, that might need groceries, that might need medicine, that might not want to get out because of everything that they are hearing or because they're unable to because of physical ailments or health? How can we be the hands and feet of Jesus reminding people that fear does not have the final word. Because I really believe this is part of the calling of the church of Jesus Christ. There was an emperor in the fourth century of Rome named Julian. Uh, His nickname was Julian the Apostate. That might tell you something about the quote I'm about ready to read about him. But Julian was, you know, as as pagan as you could get. He loved the Roman gods, and he very much despised the followers of Jesus. Here's what he wrote. He was emperor from 361 to 363 AD. He wrote, The Christian faith has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, read Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. This is the Roman emperor saying, who is it that is actually caring for the people who are sick and infirmed, disabled, confused, fearful. It is not the Roman government. It is the followers of Jesus. And I can think of no better time than now for the church to say, yes, we're all in the boat together. And yes, there is some uncertainty. And yes, some people do feel as though they are drowning. But the church can rise up because we know that Jesus Christ himself is with us. He is not going to abandon us. He's not going to forsake us. He is not going to leave us. We talk about as a church that we not only want to experience the transforming love of Jesus Christ, but we want to express it. And I think in the days ahead, we will have incredible opportunities to express the love of Jesus. To know that though the storms may rage around us, that Jesus Christ is with us. That we can choose to walk by faith and not with fear. And as we do that, we get to go into this world trusting that God goes with us. Loving our neighbors and believing that we will get through this. That we will one day gather again and worship the living God who gives us life and hope because we worship the one who calms the winds and the waves. Let us pray. God, fear is real. There's no doubt about that. 
Your word tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. But we also know that perfect fear casts out all love. So, Lord, we don't want to live with fear. We want to live by faith. And we are going to need some reminders along the way that you are with us. We're going to need some reminders that, Lord, as things get a little more uncertain, that you're with us. And, Lord, that we need to trust in you. That God, Jesus Christ, is the living Word. The Word who spoke peace. The Word who spoke life. The Word who spoke hope. And so, Lord, when the storms come, help us to trust in you. Lord, help us to continue, for us to be able to continue to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for listening. This service was online only, and the congregation was asked to stay home due to concerns for the coronavirus outbreak. Many gatherings will be postponed or canceled in the month of March, so contact the church to get the latest information. You can find a complete listing of what's going on around La Jolla Press on our website at ljpress.org. That's l-j-p-r-e-s dot o-r-g. Or call the church office at 858-454-0713. We hope you have a wonderful week full of many blessings, and we hope to see you soon.